Now that I've seen Lusteria with my own eyes, I believe the tales are true, both of the gold that can be pried out of every ruin, and also of the denizens of that cursed land, lizardmen, savage indeed in heart. It matters not the price, I will not return to those forsaken jungles again. From the log of Vincenzo Carenzo, mercenary captaino of Tila. So that is a quote that comes from the 6th edition Warhammer Fantasy Battles Lusteria book. And I don't play Warhammer Fantasy Battles anymore. I think the last rule set I have is 3rd edition. I am Jason, your host for, from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, but this is Cerebravore. Normally we have panel discussions about different topics, but today, because it's summer and it's hard to get the panel together, we ha we're going to republish a great episode from one of our frequent panel members, Carl Rodriguez, the geomologist himself. Back in March of this year, he did an episode on why you should play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And at Gen Con, just a few days ago, they announced that, a few days ago at time of this being published, they announced that there's going to be a Listeria supplement for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition, which is very exciting. Now, I know some people prefer the older editions to 4th Edition, but I'm sure it'll be very backwards compatible for those folks. But this episode that I'm republishing is great. Carl talks to his players in an ongoing Warhammer Fantasy game, 4th edition game, and they talk about why they love the system and why they think you should give it a shot. So join us for a travel back to the beginning of the year and listen to tales of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. And the panel will be back next episode. Most oh man i got something pretty cool I had ordered something as a pre-order. It was on, it was pre-order, not necessarily back order, from Cubicle Seven, and I received it today. It is not a box, but it is in fact a tube. So I pop the tube, and yes, it is indeed a map. It's about 24 by 36, it seems. And as I unfold it, oh, it is a beautiful map of the Empire. Warhammer Fantasy Empire. It looks actually really cool. Really nice. Very readable. Uh, it's definitely poetic. More poetic as opposed to, um, to you know, actually cartographic, I guess. But uh, if I'm looking at it, I see Talibheim. I see Altorf. I see the Reich, the Steer. I see Noln. Oh, look, there's Wittengorf. And perhaps Castle Wittgenstein that we're going to be playing in. But very cool. It is a very nice map. I'm going to love to bring this out into the table. And in fact, I feel like I want to, you know, frame it or something. It's very nice. 
Uh, so yeah, the uh, Mass of the Empire, the Cubicle 7. Welcome to Geomologist Presents. So today's episode is inspired by a number of things. First off, which is Jason Connerly's best of or three best RPGs contest that he just ran. You can hear the highlights or the summary in his episode number 320, where he which is called February Contest Entries and Winners. And in that one, I did list out my three favorite games, one of which was Warhammer Fantasy, the fourth edition. And I did say that I've played all four editions and I've liked each of them, but I want to communicate to you, and not just me, communicate to you along with some of my players, why you should be playing Warhammer Fantasy. And honestly, it doesn't matter which edition. A lot of it, a lot of the reasons are probably general to all of them. So I also have a lot of call-ins that I will get to as well in this episode. And honestly, these call-ins also inspired this topic. These were call-ins by Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and also by mw who has a podcast as well and that podcast is called the world of mw lewis so both really good podcasts to listen to if you don't already and yeah let's uh, get into the show hey carl jason here listen to your latest and just on the bonds maybe i didn't wasn't clear i i don't disagree with you i think bonds are an interesting mechanic and i think they're a great mechanic in Delta Green for campaign games or for, you know, extended games. I my I was specifically asking about their abuse in convention games and their abuse in one shots, which, which I think you addressed. So but but I just want to make it clear I'm not against bonds. I I think bonds are a really interesting, innovative game mechanic, but I but I think they mainly shine in longer term games where you, you can see that effect over sessions of how those bonds are, you, you know, those relationships are strained and broken and, and all that. So I, I think you and I are, are on the same sheet of music here, but you, you made me sound like a real bad guy, which I, I am a bad guy, so I guess that's okay. Actually, Jason, I do think you have a valid point. And then just to corroborate what you think and what you thought, I, mean, I didn't see it in my game, really. I mean, it was only used one time. Uh, as in the game that I ran there, it was kind of a buildup of sanity. Um, and then one maybe big hit towards the end. However, I did ask people, the zeitgeist at the good friends of Jackson Elias discord. And they responded uh, in con games, gamers will just push their sanity loss to their bonds because the bonds do not factor in con games 
It's a bit of a boring choice, this person said, for a one-shot, although they had done it before. And then someone else replied, it's just how the mechanic works and an inevitable consequence that's endemic to one-shots. In my experience, outside of an ongoing campaign, we can explore the bond's deteriorations. Players treat them as armor for negating sanity. And someone says, I never use the bonds. Another person said, it doesn't matter too much in one-shots. Even when you use bonds as a blade of sand armor, there's still cost because you're just costing willpower. So there's a negative return there as well. And the other person said, I agree with the post above. Bonds are treated as purely mathematical mechanic most of the time in one-shots, but that's fine. You can add a bit of pathos there, but it's okay to lose some elements in a con game. I'd say put that focus on the players if you really care. If they start treating bonds like a blade of armor, ask them to describe in a sentence or two what that would look like mid-game. So there you go, Jason. Uh, Most people believe that, yes, that is a consequence of the one-shots, and for sure they are much better utilized in an ongoing game, and that's really why I want to play Delta Green. But that'll be for another yeah, another uh, episode, I think. Although, unlike the D10, D4 are one of the acceptable forms of dice. They're, um, shoot, what are they? Pythagor- What's that Greek sky name? The solid. Socratic solids? Pythagoras solids? You, you know science, Carl. You know what I'm talking about. But there are certain shapes and and you know the d4 the d6 the d8 the d12 the d20 are all those kind of shapes where the d10 isn't hated d10 but for d10 i just roll d20 and you know you have two d10s on there and the same thing with the d4 which i don't like i'll either roll d8 and it'll be one to four twice or i have some d12s that have one to four three times on there so both those work as well okay back to your show yes jason those are the five pythagorean solids Tetrahedron, the four-sided, cube, the six-sided, octahedron, the eight-sided, dodecahedron, the twelve-sided, and icosahedron, the twenty-sided. And they have squares, pentagons, equilateral triangle faces. So uh, very interesting. So Plato actually used these five regular solids to explain the structure of the universe. And then the Pythagoreans then codified that is pretty interesting that you know well anyway you know it's all greek to me hey carl thanks for your thoughts on stat arrays you're right i kept using the wrong term sorry about that as far as hyperborea and slavers and all that i think hyperborea would be a great system to use to run the slaver series i don't see why you can't just convert all to humans i don't see why you have to have non-humans and semi-humans and all these other things in your game i Personally, I, I think you could just run it all humans. Slavers, you know, humans can take slaves, right? Humans can be slaves. Humans can be bad guys. They can be good guys. They can be whatever. So they, you know, could be all human-centric. But you don't have to do that. But I, I would vote for that system. Not why do they need special things just you just say they're a dwarf or say they're an elf or whatever but i i I guess i don't understand the need to give them special things you you know unless you're going to limit them in other ways and more and more that's why i guess i kind of leaning towards hyperborea for use in an osr retroclone because even though there are 
So there are no elves and dwarves. There are a couple of ethnicities or races, as they call them, the Atlanteans and the Hyperboreans that are kind of, or they don't interbreed and to mix into the common human. But that's the extent of it. And none of them have like, there's some outward differences, but none of them have like a mechanical difference. And I think that's the main thing. And a lot of GMs will say that while people play dwarves or elves or halflings or other because of the stat bonuses and humans never really got stat bonuses. And I think they kind of gave it, gave them some, I think maybe Pathfinder and 5e gives them a, like a, a wandering bonus to some sort of stat, but really white, you don't need that really, honestly. So more and more, I'm beginning to, uh, to agree with you and a lot of other gamers. Why, why have them? And that, and it's funny, we had that discussion today at uh, the gaming table. And um, this kind of links into the episode overall, is I really believe, well, the players really like the fact that, you know, for the most part, you're going to have um, mostly a human group. And it is very rare to have a non-human in the party. And that's why you roll on the table and it, there's really like a 90% chance that you're going to be human and only a 10% chance that you're going to be non-human. And uh, some people, yeah, you have the option to choose in Warhammer, but you get a bonus for just rolling random. And that's what I think most people like to do is roll random and see what you get, which is kind of the fun of it. So, and I, and I think what they liked is, like a, someone made the comment, it, you know, it seems like D&D parties more and more are just a group of misfits that come into a group or a bar or whatever, as opposed to just a group of humans that can still be misfits as humans, don't get me wrong, but, you know, all these exotic, everyone wants to be exotic. But really, you know, and I think the thing is like most of them are just like a, humans in cosplay or costume. No one really dives into the alienness of the r- different race or species that you're going to be, ancestry, whatever you want to call it. And then we were talking about that in Tolkien and in um, in the Warhammer fantasy verse and how alien that um, elves are, for example, compared to, to humans. They, they really are very different. Um, and as opposed to uh, what you see in like D&D. Um, so again, you know, it, it depends on your play style and what you want to do, but um, I, I tend to, I like Hyperborea. I like Warhammer Fantasy. What can I say? And now a couple calls from M.W. Lewis on superhumans and D&D. Hey, Carl, this is M.W. I was just listening to your podcast with Jason and talking about whether or not to use stat arrays or just roll and go with it. And, you know, that's why I really stick to AD&D 1E and basic. 
I think that's the thrill of the game. Every time you make a new character, you should roll. And I think people who min and max, they really annoy me as a dungeon master. And I, I can tell. I always can tell who's cheating with their stats when somebody enters the game with a whole bunch of 18s or 17s and their lowest uh, stat is 12 or 13. I, I knew they cheated. I, I, I have a bunch of players who don't cheat and they have pretty good uh, a pretty good uh, mix of scores that are uh, really above average and some around average or a little lower. And I, I do allow method one, so they, they roll the 4d6 and drop the lowest. Um, I just think that's fun. I think that's a... So I think that's more fun. And you, I, I, that's the only way I'd want to play. Um, and I know there's a lot of old 1e players who feel exactly as I do. Nobody wants to play the superhero. Uh, the game's supposed to be a challenge. And... When every, if everybody's playing the game with high stats, like 15 to 18s, really, I, I just think it's, the game gets boring. And I got to admit, I mean, I'm a curmudgeon. I say it all the time. I don't like superhero movies. I don't like superhero comics. I never was into that stuff. So I'm different. I know a lot of people in our RPG hobby love comics and love superheroes. I don't go see these super, superhero movies. I don't like it. I think it's boring. It's just boring. Um... I don't like that stuff. Just me personally. You know, I like Lord of the Rings instead. It's the flawed flawed people doing great things. That That's what makes an adventure fun. I-M-O, in my opinion. Of course, everyone's welcome to their own opinion. Have a good day. Thanks, M.W. And I think really like the couple messages that you sent spurred on this idea of why you should be playing Warhammer Fantasy. Not you particular, but but many people. It does have that pathetic aesthetic right no one is a superhero i mean we kind of calculated it and looked at it so it's a percentile based system and even even the the elf who we tend to think is like super powerful they get some bonus stats their highest stat if you were to compare it to like 3 to 18 is like a 12 and really it seems like the success rate is almost a flip of the coin Everything hovers around at the base level, you know, 45 to 55 for the success on a D100. So it's almost like if you're, you know, got a 50% chance of succeeding in any task you do. And some people might think, oh, well, that's a lack of competence. But, you know, in a way, it's like a flip of a coin, which is kind of cool. And more and more, you know, I think it's, it's cool. This group that plays Warhammer Fantasy, we are going to have like a little palate cleanser of D and D and and the majority would just wanted to roll and keep the stats that they got kind of like, like in the old school way. I think I did give them 46 drop the lowest, but uh, those are the stats you're going to get. There was this debate about, Oh, let's just take the highest rolls and use it as an array. But I think uh, they wanted, some of them wanted to challenge as Jason even mentioned of playing people with not so great stats. Let's see how it goes. Um, and, and roll with it. And, and I, you know, I, I think so. I, I tend to agree. I think for my sword to sorcery, my fantasy um, type of games, I think, um, yeah, the superhero stuff over the top stats. And I, I agree. You're right. I, you know, I have seen at the table way back AD and D one E at the table, the guy who decided he was, you know, he had gotten an 18. He had had some, some really good stats in general. He even had the, the 17 needed to become a paladin. He said, okay, I'm going to be a paladin. And we said, okay, well, you got to roll your, you know, your 
percentile dice for your your best your increased strength as the only person I've legitimately seen roll a double zero on the first chance first try. So you know, when other people bring me their character sheets and I see a bunch of high scores and I didn't see it, I too doubt it. But uh, I've seen it happen, a, a legit double zero. The same thing with the I don't know. Maybe it's good karma. Maybe these people are nice. But same thing with the guy who plays the elf uh, Marostra in my Warhammer Fantasy game. Um, he decided to roll randomly. He rolled a 99 to be a wood elf, and then he rolled pretty high to become a knight. So um, he took everything random and see where it, saw where it went, which I think was pretty cool. So uh, those are the, the kind of call-ins that are not related directly to Warhammer Fantasy. And um, now we're going to get into more directly why you should play Warhammer Fantasy and why I chose that as my favorite game. Well, you know, I kind of cornered my players, or at least three of them. One of them was out of town, although he did join in on the Discord. And they asked them why they think others should play Warhammer Fantasy. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, hear them, and then I'll respond and add in some cool things about Warhammer Fantasy that I like, or that is inspired by some of the things that they said. So, uh, yeah, first up is... uh, James, who plays Reginald in my Enemy Within campaign. Hey, everyone. This is my friend James, who, well, you know, the big question in this podcast is why you should play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And uh, I don't want you to just hear it from me. I want you to hear it from my players. So this is James, who plays Reginald in our ongoing Enemy Within campaign. James, why is this the best game? Or why should people be playing this game? I mean, well, this is my favorite RPG that I've ever played, um, and I don't I don't know if it's if I would say for sure that you should play Warhammer. Or this is the best RPG. It's just my favorite, and I mean a lot of it does have to do with um, uh, Warhammer itself. Like I just, I just love Warhammer. I played tabletop for years and years before it died and became Age of Sigmar. Um, so I love the old world and. Um, the adventures that that we're running, the enemy within, is really good. It's real. It's well written, uh, stuff like that. And the mechanics, like, they're fine. They're 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 very good. I like them, but I don't know if that's um, if they're you know that much better than anything else. But this, but it's turned into something pretty pretty great. I think just all of those things for me together, uh, the group that we're we're in. Um, this is why, like, this is my the favorite, my best game I've ever played. My most, you know, my favorite game. Cool. Well, maybe I put him on the spot. I would say, and uh, it's funny. I guess James didn't really want to get on. Didn't like to hear himself talk, um, but uh, he did have a lot other things to say. And I think one thing he thought was really cool. He brought up the thing about how you know when you roll for your ancestry, right? There's a chance you're going to be human and it reflects the population of the old world um, or the place that we're playing in the old world. I mean, obviously if you play it in like the elven kingdom, you would probably be mostly elf, but what's really neat. And I'll just highlight, I think is how you kind of do the class and career um, and making your character. So you do start off by rolling for your species and it roll 1d100 you do have a choice. Um, if you 
You can roll 1d100, consult the species, and gain plus 20 XP if you accept the result. Or you can just choose it. So 1 to 90 is human. Uh, 91 to 94 is halfling. 95 to 98 is dwarf. 99 is high elf. And double zero is wood elf. And actually one of my players did roll a double zero. So then when it comes to class and career, you do have a choice as well. You can choose your class and career from the options. Below, it's an extensive table or roll a D100 and get 50 XP. You can roll twice more, take the three choices and get 25 XP. Um, if you choose, you get no bonus. So, and then it goes to, you know, we talked a little bit about attributes and you can also, in the character creation, you can accept the rolls down the line and get bonus XP, um, or you can um, rearrange them. If you rearrange the 10 numbers, you get plus 25 XP. And if you're still not happy, uh, you get no XP and you can allocate 100 points across the characteristics. So it's a pretty neat and robust character creation system. It gives you a lot of choices. And if you go with fate or roll randomly, you get bonus XP, which helps you. You know, it's a XP bait. You get XP and uh, you spend XP uh, to gain talent, you know, to get talents and to get... Um, to increase your abilities, etc. So it's a, it's pretty costly, honestly. Um, but uh, it's cool. It works. You know, um, the improvement, for example, um, it costs like uh, from to advance from zero to five, for example, it costs uh, twenty five for your characteristics, or um, you know, and that's for each point, or for each point in your skill, it costs ten, and then. As you go up in increments, if you advance in increments of five, then the cost goes up by five at each stage. So um, if you're really wanting to be like at 100% in your characteristics, it's going to cost you 230 XP uh, per point at that level. Uh, that's a lot of XP that you might, you must, you will have spent. You can also buy talents for 100. You can leave a career for 100. Uh, leave an incomplete career for 200. There's other things that you can get. I think uh, uh, it's an, generally it's a neat system, and he did allude to the system. It's very easy. It's a, basically a D100 system. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate um, that uh, James enjoys the game. I mean, he does come from a tabletop background. He did show me how to play Warhammer Fantasy Battle, uh, kick my ass every time. I think my the only time I almost won is when I used a cannon and it bounced into his general and decapitated the general, at least according to the random roll. But um, yeah, good friend, really enjoys the Warhammer, plays a really top-notch character. He's kind of one of those players, too, that I like that he knows how his stuff works, and I definitely appreciate that at the table. So thanks, James, for those comments. Next up, we have Chase. Well, let's hear from another player. This is Chase. He plays Marastra, the elven knight, now Amber Wizard. Why is Warhammer Fantasy, or why should other people be playing Warhammer Fantasy, Chase? <clears throat> it's a very immersive world. Um, it's not really like a, a lot of other D&D games where you're going through and just moving from one combat point to another it's i don't know you uh 
feels like your character's decisions um, actually make a difference in the game. Um, and the combat seems to be much more brutal than a lot than a lot of others. Um, I don't know. It's, and you never played this. Right? Your background is D and D, right? You never played Warhammer, right? And yep. you don't know about like like another friend, other friends of mine. You know, they know about the old world. They played the miniatures games, but this is like your first. Yeah, this is my first foray into uh, uh, Warhammer. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Cool. Thanks. So I think really Chase emphasized the role playing opportunities and the deadlier combat. And let's talk about this for a little bit. Unlike D&D, Warhammer doesn't work on a roll-to-hit, roll-for-damage. Instead, you measure success um, with a D100. And when you're in combat, you compare your success to the success of your opponent, and the difference becomes added to the damage. Um, so so really, you know, it's, it's definitely back and forth and dynamic. And... The other interesting thing is, although there are wounds, sometimes you know it's not just the wounds, but the critical injury is what's important. And by rolling on a critical table, you can get the precise nature of a critical injury, and that's why I think it feels brutal. And in fact, you know, you can you can even get a critical injury on a defensive maneuver as well. Uh, when you read the rules, it looks like the order of operations is roll. If you get a critical fumble or critical hit, that is resolved, and usually that is a double, like a 22 or 11, etc. And then once that is determined, then you compare the success levels, and whoever gets the highest success wins that contest. And if you are attacking, you do damage. If you're defending, you gain advantage or momentum. We call it colloquially momentum, just so you're used to it, but it's, tip, it's called advantage. So, you know, like, you can get decapitations, disembowelings, etc. And I would say definitely, you know, it seems that you can explore and you're invited to explore the seedier elements of society. And they're present in many other games, but Warhammer, because of that pathetic aesthetic, in a way, makes it a core part of the environment. And you can embrace the subtleties of the, the real world, right? So... You know, you'll see dilapidated sections as well as new shiny buildings. And that's a kind of a really cool, cool aspect about it. Um, you kind of fall into heroics, I think. And that is something neat that I believe Chase alluded to and has experienced. And um, that's a really neat part of, of the world. Things are, the adventures are well written, as James had talked about. I think the designers very much embrace the world and the aesthetic for the world and it is consistent and uh, and this is not just unique to the new system i mean it's been there from the the first time you saw it in the pages of white dwarf as adventures in the old world so and that's continued through the first uh, second um and third editions even though the third edition was a totally different mechanic uh, as a fantasy flight uh, game mechanic with fiddly bits and uh, funny dice, but uh, it still had that old world feel. And I think uh, throughout all the incarnations of Warhammer Fantasy, uh, you get that. 
And now we'll hear from Vince. Hey, Carl. It's Vince, also known as Ulrich the Unstoppable from the Warhammer RPG. So um, I like playing Warhammer just because it has darker motifs within the roleplay. So within the setting, uh, settings of always corruption or chaos or even some of the consequences you do. So if, like, for instance, if you decide to, you know, touch uh, a glowing piece, you can get corrupted or it could be a blessing. It could go either way, depending on how it's glowing or within the other aspects. So it adds more caution as well as consequence to your actions, which is always kind of fun. Otherwise, if you can just, you know, be heroic all the time, it just takes things away. That's why I like Warhammer much, uh, as well as not just that, the heroic moments. Not just that, but with the combat system with Warhammer, it has those heroic moments that could be kind of fun. Not just that, but, like, the idea of the parry, it makes combat a bit more fun, not to mention, like, a bit more thematic, which is always nice. But, yeah, with the heroic moments from just, you know, bashing one enemy down completely and then moving on to the next. Or even with companions, for instance, uh, Morass, Bistari, uh animals and companions that he has with him fighting or carrying his equipment, it's... It, just adds a nicer touch to things. It, it gets more complex. And there, I guess there is a beauty to complexity. But even then, it's, it's something else. Also, if you have a good group, which I think our Warhammer group is pretty great. Great, comp great company, great players, always makes the greater games. So, that's probably why I like Warhammer so much. Well, that's all I have to say about that. Thanks again, Carl. So, Vince has kind of repeated a few things that others have said. He definitely likes the dynamic interaction with the group. It's a really good group. I definitely agree. And also the free-flowing nature of the combat and how it's very engaging. Something he did mention that I think makes this a really cool game is really this the law and chaos aspect is really brought out. There are, in the old world, if you know the lore, there are these chaos gods that are always trying to mess with, screw with uh, the people, the denizens of the world, those who respect law and order. And um, that's a big part of it, chaos and corruption, like Vince alluded to. And that even goes into dealing with magic. Magic does take time. You, The mechanic is you have to channel energy enough to cast the big spell there are powerful spells, but it's still not as, I've definitely found it's not as explosive or easy as like I cast fireball and blow up a room full of trolls, right? I mean, it can be deadly and devastating. Can your magic have nearly killed a player once or twice with that? But then, you know, sometimes like, you know, it, it's not as impressive as you would think. And then there's always a chance that you're going to have something chaotic unfold from spoiling milk in a hundred foot radius to having a demon appear. And that's something interesting also that my players brought up is that we're just regular people. We're regular humans or not superheroes. You are more likely to be a beggar or a villager or a rat catcher 
than you are to be a knight in shining armor. You can get to that, you can aspire to be that, and I think that's what makes this game so cool, is that there is this progression, definitely this progression from zero to hero. And um, I, I think that all the players embrace it, which is very cool. So, I, you know, I guess in summary, the mechanic is pretty straightforward. The combat is dynamic. It can be very evocative and brutal with all the descriptions that they have. There is this, the designers have really made an incredible effort to keep the world of you consistent and to bring that pathetic aesthetic in a world where law is fighting chaos uh, at the gates. So it's a really neat world and neat system. And they kind of go hand in hand and in contrast and really like, which really cool. I will just tell you, I have, I was thinking about it. You have definitely a buy-in from players in this, in this world and in this game. And I've had contrasts of players, not just this group with different groups. I have run through a mini campaign with new players who've never been in the system, a long-term campaign using the third, using a second edition adventure, but the third edition rules that went all the way to the end and another long-term campaign, again, using a second edition adventure and this new incarnation of the rules that went to the end and started kind of as like a set of random encounters and adventures that just kind of grew into this massive campaign where the characters nobody's coming into the city became the big heroes um though though no one really knew that they were the big heroes a few knew but the population at large did not know um there was so much destruction that of course they would be blamed for it and charged as is the nature of the, the world but um there's a statue somewhere in some temple and the people that know remember and then now in this campaign too i mean i, I Feel like we're definitely going to finish it so that's that's pretty amazing that i've been able to finish you know three campaigns and, and now potentially a fourth with this system in this game in this world so um yeah, i guess that's why it's my favorite and really why i think uh you should play i definitely have plans for for others and i say that that um you know we're moving along in uh, the enemy within so we finished uh, chapter six, the village of Wittengorf chapter, which was really cool. Um, the players arrived to this awful town. There is disease and sickness and the effects of the warp stone they know is somewhere around. And uh, they run into some interesting characters, but they find, they find the good in it. Uh, they find a temple of Sigmar where they recover a uh, holy artifact, which happens to be a cool sword for one of the players. Uh, they find and get contact with um, the outlaw organization who's trying to fight against this encroachment of, of evil and chaos. And they run afoul of some of the um, servitors of chaos, including a doctor who's poisoning the people and works for the lords of the land. So, uh, it was really neat. This last adventure, we had uh, a one on, uh, fights with the guards of the people from who are ruling this land of the evil castle. We had a one-on-one -on -one fight between Morastra and a beastman, Gore, 
uh, which was pretty cool dynamic in the darkness of the forest and the woods. Um, all very tense because at any time you could get hacked up and the players never don't, they're good. They're very competent, but they still get pretty injured. I mean, definitely um, they were down some health for sure. And we finally got to see the swivel gun in use, uh, a creepy chaos tentacled undead creature was created from the corpse of something the doctor was working on. And, uh, yeah, when it appeared um, before it got to act, they annihilated it with their swivel gun that they've invested in on their boat. So um, really good couple sessions. We finished the chapter. We're on to like the last or penultimate chapter. The, uh, the Death on the Reich is reaching a climax here. And uh, this next chapter, Castle... Wittgenstein itself will be pretty interesting, so we'll see how it goes, and I will tell you the tales of this merry band who were once, you know, what were they? Aside from the Elven Knight, they were a villager and a couple of ne'er-do-well uh, low-level bureaucrats, a lawyer, and an ad, uh, not an advocate, an advisor, and now they are a man who runs his own boat. The knight has become a wizard. The lawyer is now a witch hunter. And uh, that advisor, well, he's a duelist who has his own unique school of sword and pistol fighting. So it's been pretty cool to see this journey grow in these heroes who were once nobodies. So, well, I hope you enjoyed that, my indulgence into why I like and why you should play Warhammer Fantasy. And yeah, I have a lot of good players, but I think the the tools are there for anyone to have their unique and enjoyable Warhammer Fantasy experience. And whatever version you play, we've chosen to play uh, the Warhammer Fantasy edition, the latest one, the fourth edition. But uh, I played them all and I've enjoyed them all in their own way. So there you go. Uh, thank you for listening. The music, the intro and outro music is by TJ Drennan, and I use the loops from Looperman for the interludes. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and if you have any questions or comments about uh, Warhammer, uh, shoot me a line. You can get hit me up on Anchor. You can send me an e- a voicemail. My email is... A, geomologist at gmail.com or you can hit me on various discords as well and ask me questions about it and uh, with that i think uh, tj yeah give us that cool riff that you do so well Oh, that's not
Yeah. 